Let's stand together. Please find Daniel 7 in your Bible. As you stand, let's stand together. Turn to Daniel chapter 7 for our our study this morning. Daniel chapter 7. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We, We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you are working throughout the world, through, through the chaos and, and the turmoil. We pray for these believers in, in Syria and Lebanon and Iraq, Lord. Pray that you would bless them this morning and encourage them, allow their roots to go deep in you. God, we thank you for the turmoil in our lives, that you're, you're working in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the difficulty. God, you know us, you know us personally, you know our joys and our sorrows, and we want to give all of that to you afresh this morning. We pray that you would speak to us, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. In Daniel chapter 7, we see revealed the Ancient of Days. We're entering into a new section of the the book of Daniel. The first six chapters is the life and times of Daniel, his personal uh, experiences. But chapter 7 changes, and it's four visions, four dreams that were given to Daniel specifically. And really, Daniel is famous for the first six chapters. Uh, If you're you're studying Daniel many times, you're going to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, the lion's den, uh, the beginning of the book of Daniel. But for many, this is where they stop studying uh, the book of Daniel because it gets into the these prophecies that are a little bit more difficult to to understand. But as we go through these these five chapters, I hope that you're encouraged because we're told in the book of Revelation that prophecy is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. And one of the things we gain from prophecy is we see God's infinite wisdom. You may remember in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It was a statue And each part of the statue was a different material. We had gold, we had iron and silver and and, and brass, and each part of the statue represented a world-dominating empire. Well, this chapter, this dream that Daniel has correlates with that. There's four kingdoms represented in the dream, but instead of this magnificent statue, there are four brutal beasts. And it's God's perspective of the same kingdoms. Have you ever thought about that? How how does man see leadership? How does man see governments? How does does man even see the uh, world-dominating powers of today? Maybe as this giant statue with this very valuable material, but then how does God see it? What's God's perspective of of man's man's leadership? And many times man's leadership is brutal, isn't it? There's there's a brutality that that, uh, takes place in in man's leadership. And we see that represented in, in this vision. I hope as we go through this chapter that you're encouraged that God is on the throne, that he is working in the midst of of chaos, that he is the ancient of days, and all things are leading towards the coming of Christ. Verse 1 In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Scripture tells us it's the first year of Belshazzar. So now we leave a chronological order of the book of Daniel. We go back in between chapters 4 and 5. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king. Belshazzar is the king, but it's prior to the Medes and Persians taking over. 
And Daniel receives this vision, this, this dream, while he's on his bed, and he writes down the, the main facts. So we don't have all of the detail of this dream, simply the main facts. God's recorded for us what he wants us to know. And those things that are left out are left out for a, a purpose. I want us to pause for just a moment and consider this, that God speaks to us in the night season. We spend a lot of hours either sleeping or trying to get sleep, don't we? It's the way that God has designed us to, to go ahead and try to get some sleep and, and lay down in, in our beds. And here, Daniel, he has a dream. He has a vision while he's sleeping. God is speaking to him. Throughout the book of Daniel, it's a primary way that God is getting people's attention, getting his, his message across. Throughout scripture, there's a lot of people that receive dreams uh, from the Lord. As Dan Johnson was sharing in the Middle East, many people are, are receiving dreams a, a, about Christ. Maybe think about it in, in your life. Has there ever been a dream that God has spoken to you through that you could say, this was a little different than just, I had pizza too late at night or ate too much ice cream, but we have a lot of dreams that aren't from the Lord, but maybe there was one or two dreams that God spoke to you through. I don't know about for you, but a lot of times I dismiss that God could speak to me through a dream. Uh, I kind of go, yeah, I know that that's in scripture, but that seems a little bit too, too far out uh, for me. And we do have to be careful with dreams because some people say they've received a dream from the Lord, but unfortunately it doesn't line up with scripture. So you're like, nah, it's, it's not from the Lord. You know, a lot of false religions have been started with visions uh, that didn't come from the Lord. So through a dream or possibly through a night watch, if you would, for some reason, uh, sleep is eluding you. Could God be trying to speak to you during that night watch? David in the Psalms wrote a lot about this. In Psalm 69, he says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. My eyes are awake through the night watches. Don't you hate that? My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate upon your word. So if you find yourself not sleeping, I encourage you, God may be trying to speak to you. It could be a great opportunity to meditate upon his word, a great opportunity to, to pray, to put your attention uh, upon him. Maybe it is that your kids can't sleep. They've got a cold and they're coughing or they're vomiting, right? Those, it's hard to turn from the vomit to prayer, right? Yeah. Maybe it is your neighbor has a theater system that is really good, and it goes through their wall and your wall as well, and you can't sleep, right? Whatever the case may be, maybe you just wake up at three in the morning. What in the world's going on? Could it be that that's a great time to fellowship with the Lord? What, what is God maybe trying to speak to us in the night seasons? God spoke to Daniel. In verse 2, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring on the great sea. So the first thing he sees in his vision is the great sea and then there's four winds and the, and the four winds speak of God stirring and God, God is, is moving. And there's several scriptures in the Old Testament that refer to the great sea as the, the Mediterranean Sea. It seems that God is moving in this Mediterranean region in, in the Middle East. And these four kingdoms that are described, their reign is primarily through the Middle East, the known world at, at that time. In verse 3, 
And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. So there's four uh, great beasts in this dream. Here's the first one. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched it till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Later on in the chapter, God's going to give us the interpretation of this dream, that each beast represents a, a king. This is very clearly pointing to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire, likened to a lion, this dominating animal with wings, able to, to move very swiftly and powerfully. But the wings were cut off. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar like, like we saw, and then ultimately gave Nebuchadnezzar a heart, softened his heart uh, through humility. The second kingdom, verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. The second beast is a bear, the Medes and the Persians, and that bear has three ribs in its mouth. The text doesn't give us what the, what the three ribs are. There's a lot of speculation. Was it Babylon, Egypt, Libya? Uh, we don't know for sure, but we see it devouring these three ribs, and we go very quickly to the, the third beast. And after this, I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had its back, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So the leopard has four wings and four heads that were given to it. We believe this to be the Greeks. Alexander the Great very quickly goes through and conquers this region, dies at a young age, and history tells us there were four generals that then took over the empire. The, the four heads speaking of the four generals. So we understand God's infinite wisdom. He is predicting all of this before it ever took place. A lot of attention is given to the, the fourth beast. And after this, I saw in the night vision and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. This is a great Halloween message. It's Exceedingly strong in its huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all of the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So the fourth is simply described as a beast. We don't have like a lion, like a leopard, just, just a beast. But this beast is brutal. It's, it's dreadful, it's terrible, it's extremely strong. And this is speaking of the Roman Empire. The, the Roman Empire conquered from England to Africa, from Syria to Spain. One in every four people on the earth lived and died under Roman law. The Roman Empire in the first century added mixed sophistication with brutality and could lurch from civilization's strength and power to terror, tyranny, and greed. So, so the Roman Empire was strong, brutal, and uh, terrible. What comes out of this is then ten horns, and we'll see more focus on that in just a moment. And I was considering the horns. So, so Daniel in his dream he really gets his attention, the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there 
In this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So the, the little horn takes out three other horns and speaks pompous words and has eyes like, like a man. We believe this to be the Antichrist. Uh, the Antichrist in Revelation 13 speaks blasphemy against God. We'll see in our text here in Daniel 7 that this little horn is, is speaking pompous words against the, the Most High. So there's a lot of speculation here at this point of what do these ten horns mean? We'll find in just a moment that God tells us the ten horns are ten kings that come out of this fourth kingdom, this fourth beast. So if the fourth beast is indeed the Roman Empire, then there's going to be ten kings or ten nations that, that come out of the Roman Empire and then one leader, the little horn, that's going to rise out of, of that group to come against Christians and to come against Christ uh, specifically. There's some that would look at this and, and say that this has already been fulfilled, but we can't look at any point in history where we find ten kings uh, coming out of uh, the Roman Empire, ten nations coming out of the, the, the Roman Empire. Uh, some would say that this is, is figurative, but then you have to look at the, the whole chapter that this vision doesn't have a, a literal application, and God does give us the the interpretation of this, as we'll see in just a moment, that it is specifically speaking of kings. In verse 9, the attention now shifts and the focus is on the Ancient of Days. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. So you have the thrones of these four kingdoms, but then ultimately you find those thrones are put in their place and the Ancient of Days is seated, and we get this picture of the Ancient of Days and the throne of God. And this is a description, a title, that's given to the Father, the Ancient of Days. It speaks of the eternal existence of God. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's eternal. He sees from the beginning to the end. He, he knows it all. When he spoke all things into existence at creation, he knew exactly how it was going to end in the, the book of Revelation. And this brings us a lot of comfort in our lives to know that God is the, the ancient of days. Do you f find yourself being in a little bit of turmoil as we look at what's going on in the world? It's hard because we only have our perspective. I don't have the perspective of my grandparents. They, they, they've passed away. I, I don't have the perspective of my, my great-grandparents. I, I don't know what they thought when, when they were my age and at their point in, in the journey. But from my perspective, things seem kind of uncertain. There's a lot happening on the international stage. There's a lot happening in our own country. And, and things are changing very quickly. For some, you go, well, I'm not really concerned about things internationally. I'm not really concerned about even things so much in our own country. It's, it's my own life. There seems to be a lot of instability, a lot of ups and downs. I'm not certain what this week is going to be like. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills. I don't know how some relationships are, are going to turn out. And our focus needs to be upon the Ancient of Days, that he is upon the throne, that man has free will, but ultimately God is taking all things and working it together for good. He's able to take evil and, and turn it together for good. 
that all of these things that are happening on the world stage are ultimately leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And God has been faithful to every generation. He's been a faithful dwelling place, a faithful refuge to every generation. When I was hunting this week, I couldn't help but think of all of the generations that have passed before me that wandered in the woods to try to find food, to, to hunt, hunt these, these elk, right? I'm not the first to, to go out there and, and try to find it. I, I, won't be, I won't be the last. And God's watched all of us fools out there, you know, <laughs> looking for, for, for these elk. The issues that our grandparents were facing, God was faithful, wasn't he? Amen? Amen. All the things that our children are facing, sometimes as parents, we, we get very fearful about what our kids are facing. For some of you, what your grandkids are facing, God, God is a faithful dwelling place. He is the ancient of days. All of the things that have ever happened in the world past or will take place in, in the world in the future don't threaten the throne room of God. He's there secure upon his throne. And what a great title that's given to the Father as the Ancient of Days. His garment was white as snow. So the Ancient of Days has this garment that is white as snow, speaking of the purity of God. With these world leaders, ultimately they're not pure. How do we know that? Because we're all sinners. I'm not pure. You're not pure. Leaders are attempting to do their best, or at least we hope they're attempting to do, do their best. But as we think of the leadership of God, the leadership of the Father, he's pure, and that's comforting. There's no sin in our Father. He does right. He is good. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. So if you find yourself with some gray hair, some white hair, you're in good company. You're becoming more like the Father, right? The ancient, the ancient of days. Why would he be described with a head that's like pure wool. This speaks of his wisdom. Proverbs tells us that gray hair is a crown of glory. It means you've learned a thing or two. And God has infinite wisdom. He has infinite wisdom. And we're able to come to his throne room. Because of Christ, his death and resurrection, we have an open invitation to come to the throne room of the Father to receive wisdom from him. His throne was a fiery flame its wheels a burning fire. So around his throne was this firing flame. And then there were wheels like a burning fire. Ezekiel chapter one also gives us a vision of the, the throne room of God and it's awesome. There's an awe-inspiring element of, of the, the throne room of God. This fire and these wheels, it, it speaks of power and God's all-consuming nature. One of the things that we understand about Jesus in his humanity is there's meekness. There's approachability in Christ becoming a man and yet still being all God. But also with God, the, the character and nature of God is this holiness and this power that we can't even begin to comprehend. And I think we don't want to take away from either one. And sometimes I think that we don't focus enough on the majesty of God. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a comfortability with God, which is great, but we lose sight of the, the majesty of God. Think about it this way. You know, if someone is not necessarily very strong or they don't have very much power, you find their meekness to be approachable. But yet, if you find somebody who has great strength and great power, 
but yet they're a giant teddy bear. There's something about that where you go, oh man, they, they, they have power and they have strength, but yet there's still an approachability uh, about them. I'm not in a very intimidating personality. Uh, I don't know why, but if I said I was going to take you out back in the church alley, you would not be scared, right? <laughs> You'd be like, I, I'll hedge my bets. I think I'm going to be just fine on that one, right? But we think about God. He's the lion and the lamb. His throne room is, is fire and holiness and all-consuming, but yet he's also this suffering servant where Christ came in human flesh and died for our sins. And what a wonderful combination. What an amazing attributes that we see in God in, in his throne room. In verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth before him and a thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. So this idea here is this huge multitude is before the throne room of God ministering to him. We see this in the book of Revelation as well. When we lift our voice in song to God, we, we enter into the throne room of God. We join this multitude in praising the Lord. The court was seated and the books were opened. The idea is you have these kingdoms, you have these world leaders, and they're going to stand before God and give account. God's courtroom, his throne room, is the supreme court. You with me? It's the ultimate authority. And everyone is going to stand and give account before God. And that's why we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus. To be able to stand before the, the Father robed in Christ's righteousness because of our faith, faith in Christ. So this brings us great comfort as we go through this life is no one's getting away with anything. All these world leaders giving an account to God. That person that you're wondering, does God see? Does God notice? Is God going to hold them accountable? Absolutely. What does God declare? He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The books will be opened. God's going to make things right. God's going to hold people accountable. Verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So ultimately, that little horn that speaks pompously is destroyed. That fourth beast was destroyed as well. And the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. The Son of Man speaking, of course, of Jesus. Eighty times in the Gospels, Christ is referred to the Son of Man as the Son of the Father. Man speaking of his humanity. So we have his deity and his, his humanity. And he's brought before the Ancient of Days. Then to him, speaking of Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is in everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So these world leaders, these kingdoms, the, the little horn, all of that is set aside, and the nations are given to Jesus. It's his kingdom. He rules. He, he reigns. In the book of Revelation, we find a thousand-year period before the new heaven and new earth where Christ rules and reigns. We see prophecies in the book of Zechariah of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to return upon the Mount of Olives 
and reign in Jerusalem. Psalms 2 tells us that the nations of the world are the inheritance of Christ. He's going to inherit all of the nations. Try to imagine what the leadership of Christ is going to look like here on this earth. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be phenomenal. And that's what everything is leading up to. That's what all the chaos is, is leading up to, is to the rule and reign of Christ. I know a lot of times we can get kind of lost in end times, and people want to discuss different aspects of, of the end times. We think of the tribulation, the seven-year period of God's judgment. We think of the rapture and the different positions upon the rapture, and I personally believe in a pre-trib ratio pre-tribulation rapture view where God takes the church out before he pours out his judgment. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in the details, we lose sight of the ending. Do you know the rapture's not the main point of all that? Do you know that the tribulation's not the main point of all that? Do you know that these four beasts and how dreadful they are are not the main point? The little horn being so pompous against God is not the main point? What's the main point? It's that Jesus rules and reigns, that it's all given over over to Christ. Think about the nations of the world serving him. Every tongue, every tribe, every people group, that's going to be beautiful. That's going to be wonderful. Talk about a, a worship service. So we get to go through our lives with certainty, confidence, hope. Man, these things are difficult. This world is tumultuous. The the wind is blowing, but Christ is going to rule and reign. We know that with absolute certainty. It gets me excited. Does it get you excited? Verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Daniel's troubled. He's grieved. So he asks the question, could you please explain all this to me? God oftentimes gives greater understanding and revelation if we simply ask. I'm so glad Daniel asked. We wouldn't have the interpretation if he didn't ask. Is there something about God's word or something going on in your life where you lack clarity? Ask. The disciples, you gotta hand it to them. They were brave enough to ask. Like, we do not get this. We're completely lost. This parable, I have no idea what it means. And Jesus then goes on to explain to them. So here's the interpretation. Thus, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which rise out of the earth. So each beast represents a king and a kingdom. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. By God's grace, we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ inherits the nations, and we get to rule and reign with Christ. It's very clear. Verse 18 says, The saints of the Most High receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. And verse 19, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. The fourth beast really bothers Daniel, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes 
and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. So he said, I want to know about this fourth beast, and specifically this horn that takes out three other horns, speaks so pompously, and has eyes like a man. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So there's a a point here where this little horn, and if indeed it is the Antichrist, has the opportunity, the ability to be able to persecute the saints, to come against uh, believers until he's judged, until he's put into his, his proper place. So there's a couple possibilities here. That the Antichrist is revealed in, in the tribulation, so who are the saints? The saints could be Jews who come to know Christ as their Savior. We, we know that that's going to take place. 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel declaring the, the message of God. It could be believers that get saved during the tribulation. I think people are going to get saved during, during uh, the tribulation. If indeed the rapture has already taken place and the church is already with Christ taken up in, in, in glory. We have to hold these things with humility. The, the other possibility is that God allows believers to, to be in the tribulation. Again, I don't, I don't hold that view, but obviously we haven't gone through it yet, haven't we? The, the rapture hasn't happened. At least we hope it hasn't happened or we missed it, right? <laughs> but we do know clearly from the text that the Antichrist is, is able to come against uh, the saints, prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days comes and puts them in this proper place. Verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all of the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Speaking of the Roman Empire and the way they were able to dominate. The ten horns are ten kings, so we know very clearly that the ten horns are ten kings, and kings have kingdoms who shall arise from this kingdom. They're coming out of the fourth beast. They're coming out of the Roman Empire. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue the three kings. Speaking of that, that little horn, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. So specifically, he's coming against God. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to to change times and law. Then saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half. In Revelation, it tells us that that the Antichrist speaks blasphemy against God, pompous words against the, the, the Most High. What caught my attention in verse 25 is he intends to change times and law. The expression when we say times have changed, what do we mean? Culture's changed. Culture's changed. Things aren't the way that they used to be. The Antichrist wants to change culture and change laws. Are laws important? Absolutely. I think they're way more important than, than, than we realize. And countries are blessed, and I think our country has been blessed historically, but countries are blessed when they want to line up their law with God's law. 
And we say, we want the law of our land to reflect the law of, of God's word. And so the Antichrist, when he comes in, he wants to change culture and he wants to change law in a way that is against, against Christ. When we speak of Antichrist, it's opposed to Christ, but it's also in replace of Christ. That's, that's the ultimate anti-move, is to uh, replace Christ. We know that the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well today. That there's this movement, and this movement's always been there, of saying, we want to replace Christ. We want to replace Christ. And what we find happening even though we're not in the tribulation and the Antichrist hasn't been re revealed, is culture is changing in a way of replacing Christ, isn't it? And also, the laws are changing to be anti-God's word and to try to replace Christ. I do think it's important, as long as we're here as believers, that we're salt and light, that we're engaged in every aspect of society so that the gospel can be proclaimed. We need believers that are involved in government that are fighting for laws that line up with God's word. It's important to do that. Man, if the Antichrist is worried about changing laws, we should be concerned about, about the laws as well. And it's not just a law for a law's sake, but for the ultimate opportunity for people to receive Christ as, as their savior. So it's interesting that he would want to change times and change law. There's an interesting phrase at the end for a time times and a half of times. This phrase is also used in Revelation 11, 12, and 13. 11, 12, and 13. It speaks of a three and a half year period, most likely. A time, one year. Times, two years. So we have three years and a half. Three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation. In verse 26 but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. So God rules over the Antichrist, over this little horn. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people and the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This chapter, to me, is one of the clearest references of how we're going to rule and reign with Christ and how Christ is going to have complete dominance and then as joint heirs with Christ, we get to be part of that, that leadership. Here's a question for you. Does it matter how you live your life as a believer here? Yeah, it really does. Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. Jesus is going to be giving out responsibilities in this millennial kingdom. And what is he going to look at? He's going to look at your faithfulness in the here and now. What you're doing now is going to echo for all of eternity. I don't think that way. I really don't. Jesus taught a lot about laying up treasures in heaven. He says, this is valuable. You need to make sure that you have treasures in heaven. You need to make sure that you're, you're rich towards God. God's saying your life matters. Be faithful unto him. So we end the chapter in verse 28. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept this matter in my heart. Are you troubled by this chapter? You're in good company. There's an aspect to all of this that weighs heavy upon our spirits because 
this is difficult. There, there's a difficult road ahead leading to the ultimate victory of, of Christ's return. And Daniel says, I'm troubled. I think if we reduce this down to such a simplistic level that it doesn't disturb us at all, we've missed the point of the text. That there's a point here where Daniel goes, I don't fully understand all of these things. I get some of it, but I don't get all of it. And I realize this is heavy, but I also realize there's going to be ultimate victory, and I'm left troubled. So if you find yourself in that place, I don't want to take, you, take that away from you. You can leave troubled this morning in Jesus' name and, and continue to wrestle uh, with these things. But how do we make application in our lives? God has us here for, for a reason. Is the Father is the Ancient of Days. And with him being the Ancient of Days, we find meaning for our lives. It's difficult to find meaning for our lives apart from the Ancient of Days. To realize what I do really does matter. And there is going to be a, a reign of Christ. And so I don't want to just simply waste my life. But also, with Jesus being the Ancient of Days, we find security, don't we? We find meaning, but we find security. When I get my focus upon the news and focus on all the things that are taking place, even in our, our own community, I, I tend to not feel secure. But when I focus on Jesus ruling and reigning upon his throne, I find great security in my life. He is a faithful refuge. I, I hope that the message that we're giving to our kids and our grandkids is not one of fear. I don't think that that's God's message for them. I hope it's one that, you know what, God is a faithful refuge. And he has the answers for your generation. And he's going to be a faithful dwelling place for you. You know that God walked a generation through World War II? He was a faithful dwelling place for those who lived through, through the, hel the Holocaust. We don't have to be afraid. We can be in a place of security. And also the Ancient of Days, he provides wisdom. We have an open, all-access VIP to come to the throne room of God to ask for wisdom for our daily lives. Do you need wisdom for your daily life? I'm realizing my need for wisdom more and more. You know, in my early 20s, I had so much figured out. I remember being in school ministry and really thinking that I understood what it meant to be a pastor. There was 25 of us in this school of ministry trained up through our, our local church and we would stay up late at night picking apart and analyzing all the mistakes that the pastors were making, you know. <laughs> like, we're ready to set these guys straight. I know less about pastoring now than I did when I was in my early 20s. I remember being a youth pastor here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, being in my, my early 20s and sitting down with parents and and telling them what I thought they needed to do with their teenagers, you know? <laughs> I didn't have a teenager. I've been married for just a small period of time, and I look back at embarrassment of some of the things that, that I said, you know? And now that I'm approaching 40, I call them, that was laughable. Those parents must have been going, he's 23, my kid's 15, he's only eight years older than my kid. <laughs> And he's telling me what I should do with my teenager, right? I'm coming aware of the fact that I need wisdom. 
But the Ancient of Days is there on his throne. My Father is the Ancient of Days. My Father does rule and reign, and we're able to come to him and approach him and say, Lord, give, give me wisdom. So let's do that right now. Let's pray together. Father, as this chapter is heavy, and we see so many things that we don't understand, Lord, it is very clear that you're upon the throne. Father, that you are the, the Ancient of Days. That Jesus, you are the Son of Man. That you're going to return and take control of, of the world. So God, would you plant that hope deep within our hearts, and may we look for your, your soon return. And right now, we do come to you as our dwelling place. You are a faithful refuge. We don't know what things will be like in the future, but we know that you will be faithful. We know in you we find our, our purpose. In you we live and move and find our being. And God, right now we come before you and we ask for wisdom. Is there an area of your life where you need wisdom? Come to, come to the Father, ask him. Father, we thank you. We, we praise you. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to be used for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.